This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we are in official playoff mode. But that hasn't stopped the MSL from having some extended breaks. The U.S. Box, the Nationals, were this past weekend, and they were once again a raving success. The Rochester Nighthawks have updated their coaching staff again, and we'll talk about the road to the Minto with Andrew McBride. All that and more on OTCB. I am an What's going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me at the show, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. It is a lacrosse show, so that is a lacrosse pun. After a very busy start to free agency... Um, it's gotten kind of quiet. Um, most of the signings um, have been depth players. Only one really major UFA acquisition. That was surprise, surprise uh, by the Saskatchewan Roughnecks. Wow. I just combined two teams at one time that were involved in the same transaction but are completely separate. Um, it was Jeff Shatler going from the Calgary Roughnecks to the Saskatchewan Rush as Derek Keenan now truly believes that he is done. But you never know. Uh, but as I said, throughout the transaction wire, uh, the transaction wire over the past week, it's been very quiet, a lot of depth players being signed. Uh, but one name popped up today that could stir the pot a little bit. That news didn't come out too long ago. And it was put out by the man himself, Billy D. Smith, announcing that his camp and the Buffalo Bandits camp, i.e. Steve Dietrich, were unable to come to terms on a free agent contract. And so for the first time in his career, he will not start the season as a member of the Buffalo Bandits. 15 years with the Bandits has Billy D. played. And for his 16th season, it will possibly be with another club. He's not saying he's retiring. He's just saying that he couldn't come to terms with the Bandits and he doesn't know what the future holds. So, if your team is looking for a veteran, stay-at-home, beast of a defender, based out of the East, maybe take a shot at him. So that was the most recent and latest of breaking news in the lacrosse world, Billy D. Smith, not going to be back with the Buffalo Bandits. Let's get on to things. Uh, we'll come back full circle to the National Lacrosse as we talk about some of the transactions um, that went down over the week. A lot of goaltenders uh, being inked as well uh, as we get closer and closer to camps and the draft and all the things that are going to be happening in the National Lacrosse League. But summer ball continues to be the focus and we are fully underway in the Senior A playoffs. The road to the Minto Cup is officially paved. It will run through Brampton, and it will involve the... On no, we don't know the Ontario champs yet, actually. Um, it'll involve the Six Nations Arrows, the Mimico Mountaineers, Okotoke Raiders, and the Coquitlam Adnax, who were the fourth and final team to book their ticket to Brampton. That happened on Monday night as they knocked off their arch rivals, the New Westminster Sandbellies, 9-6 to take that series four games to one. So they will all put their sights on Brampton. And that Minto Cup gets going in a couple of weeks' time. Actually, sorry, in a week's time. On the 17th, I believe, is when it starts. So nine days away. And if you want to read a nice little article that kind of sets the stage, uh, Brian Shanahan has a nice piece up on ILindoor.com. Uh, you can read that. Next week, he's going to have a chat with all four coaches, and we just happened to have one of those coaches on the show here today, and that is Andrew McBride. He is the head coach of the Okotoke Raiders, a longtime Calgary Roughneck, um, one of the great guys in the sport of lacrosse. He does so much both on the floor and off the floor that he's become one of the people that I always turn to when I need advice. Um, when I'm looking for a story or just having a good old-fashioned lacrosse chat, Brider is one of the top guys I go to, and he's a longtime friend of the show, and it's been a while since we've had him on, 
Um, but I figured with his Raiders capturing their sixth provincial title, what better time than now? So I caught up with Ryder earlier in the day, and I just asked him, how the heck his summer's been? Summer's been good, busy. Summer, you know, summer ball, you're a former player. You've given back. It is a lot of time and effort, but it's been well worth it, so it's been going well. Plus, throw in uh, your dad, you're working for Alberta Lacrosse. you got a lot on your plate, and, and to keep up with all the things you have on your plate, you're trying to grow a fantastic beard. How do you balance everything? You know, this might be the, the longest beard I've had, and it might be the best beard I've had. I've got the uh, tinges of gray coming in from a lot of stress involved yeah. with these kids coaching, uh, a lot of stress for many years of playing lacrosse, but the beard's looking good. I don't mind it, actually. It's, it's, it's a pretty good one. You mind it when it's smoking hot out, though, because that's a lot of heat on the face. And when you're eating and then, like, the mustache, you take a bite and then it, like, catches in the food, that's, that's not the best look either. It, it isn't, but uh, it's all for a good cause. The, uh, the, the Raiders are on a bit of a run here. Um, you guys are back as RML champions. What's it mean to you and to this group uh, to get back to the Minto Cup and, and the season that you guys had? It's been our goal all year. You know what? Yeah. We set that goal to win a national championship. No one from Alberta has ever done it, but it continues to be the goal that we set. It's not about winning an Alberta championship. It really is about winning a national championship. Yeah. And to get this out of the way and to get past this point and to give ourselves and the kids the opportunity um, is something that's it's almost a relief for us. I was like the day after and the night after, it was just my wife was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, man, I feel like I just... <laughs> you know, went, went for a battle. I feel like just yeah. this emotional release because it was a tough year for us. We lost one of our players last year in Jordan McKinnon, uh, our owner, Dave Fair, who's created mm-hmm. such an amazing culture, which these kids have really bought into, passed away. Uh, so an emotional season for us, but a season that really meant a lot. And I couldn't be prouder of the kids for, for buying in in a lot of different avenues. Talk about uh, Dave Fair and, and, and what he meant to this club and not just to you guys, but to, to lacrosse in Alberta. Well, he was basically the guy who started the Junior A Lacrosse League. He was a visionary ahead of his time in terms of building the game up, in terms of marketing the game, in terms of expanding the game, his vision of having a Canadian-wide Junior A Lacrosse League, mm-hmm. of us joining the BC League, really trying to be at the forefront of pushing things. Did he ruffle feathers? Yeah. Was he an abrasive guy? He was. But the one thing I loved about Dave Fair is he never backed down from his vision and his passion. He always mm-hmm. had our back as a young coaching staff uh, with myself and Bruce Codd. He was a man that cared so much about families. He was a guy that would come to the rink and have individual conversations with players. And the response and the outpouring of, of love um, from former players, from people in the lacrosse community, shows how much he really did for these kids. And it's something we've preached all year about culture. Culture is not something that's created over one year, two years, three years. Culture is created over a long period of time. And when, mm-hmm. you, when you can create a culture, much like the Coquitlam Adnecks have done out in the West, much mm-hmm. like Six Nations has done, that's when you know you've reached the pinnacle of success. And, and creating a culture is something where people want to be a part of it. And you've seen that in Alberta now. Our name is synonymous with mm-hmm. at least making the finals and trying to do things the right way. And uh, he was a huge mentor for me. He gave me an opportunity. He supported me, uh, and he'll be sorely missed, but we will carry on his legacy and the things we do on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you talk about culture. You talk about um, closing the gap and, and, and becoming a Canadian-wide junior league. Obviously, the RML has, has added the Saskatchewan SWAT. Um, what's their progress been like? Is, is that gap closing? Because there was a lot of hype coming from that organization when they joined the RML. Yeah, you know what? Saskatchewan is doing things the right way. The inclusion of an NLL team in an area like Saskatoon where they had I believe 350 new kids registered from lacrosse. They're vertically aligned top to bottom. They're beginning to do things the right way. For them this year, losing their two best guys and sending them off to Coquitlam was a big emotional loss for them, mm-hmm. Keenan Cosman and Baden Boyanko. But in terms of competing, in terms of grinding and doing things the right way, buying into the process of what it takes to be successful, they're coming along nicely. Randy Trobeck in Saskatchewan really is one of those guys that has that vision, that passion, that excitement for lacrosse, and he's putting steps in place to make that happen. Are they still a little bit of ways out in terms of getting up to the upper echelon of teams? They are. But by all means, they are putting a three, five, ten-year plan mm-hmm. to get there, and it's really been a good inclusion into our league. So let's talk about your guys. Um, you, you, you had a nice regular season. You weren't really challenged. Um, you got that bye, and then you guys are into the finals, and you knock off the Mounties uh, in four games. 
what's the strength of your Raiders club? I think the strength of our team is attention to detail. Like yeah. we run extremely hard practices and we do that for the reason of our competition throughout the league is not necessarily as strong as it's going to be in Ontario and BC. And mm-hmm. as a coaching staff, we preach the message about needing to challenge yourself on a day-to-day basis and needing to come to work and practice. And I'll tell you right now, I'll put our kids up against any team in the country in the way they practice, the way they've bought into the attention of detail, the way they've hung out as a group. Uh, some of the best practices I've seen even going to the NLL level or the WLA yeah. level. And honestly, that really carried over to what makes us successful as a team. Having individuals understand their roles and responsibilities and having kids buy into that. Everyone wants to be a scorer, but I don't need 20 scorers, as you know, mm-hmm. Teddy Jenner. Yeah. I need a guy that can play defense. I need a guy that's going to be my solid defensive guy in the low position. Yeah. I need a guy that's going to bang right off the gate, come through the middle with speed. And the kids have really done a great job of finding their roles, believing in their roles, and understanding that each little role is going to be key to success moving forward. There was a lot of success for the Mountaineers in the Minto Cup last year, uh, making some waves, their first win in the Minto Cup. What's going to be the story of this Okotoks Raiders team as you guys head back to Brampton? Well, I think swagger, belief in the process, belief in what we're trying to do, and understanding that when you look down there and you look across, sure, there's these big names in Austin Staff and Thomas Semple and Christian Del Bianco, but some of the best of advice that I ever got from Terry Sanderson was, if you believe in your group and you can look down that floor and say, these 20 people are going to be better than those 20 people, yeah. it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they're wearing on the front of their jersey. Um, and so the belief that we belong at this level, and we've been preaching it all year from the coaching staff, is that if we continue to do these things, we belong at this level. Now, mm-hmm. is it going to be a shock for us? Sure. We're going to go in a hostile environment, in a hot barn, on the road, with a, a kind of a young team. You know, we have a lot of variance in ages. We're going to be strong for many years to come against one of the best teams in either Mimico and Six Nations. So it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting for our kids to see how mentally strong we are. It's going to be interesting to see how we deal with adversity because we haven't had a lot of adversity this year. But every test and every challenge that we've thrown in front of these kids, they've really responded well. So I'm excited for all the opportunity. And that's kind of what we're saying is when you get older in life like us, you realize like opportunities are far and few between. Mm-hmm. So when you have an opportunity – you're going to go make the best of it. And, and our motto is we're going to give you our best. We're going to be prepared. We already got about a 45-page scouting report. We've watched video on each team, probably five or six games. We're really dialed in when it comes to that stuff. And we're going to give our best effort. And if we look each other and we looked ourselves in the mirror after and said we did what we could, then we'll walk out of there with our heads held high regardless of the result. You guys have, were sort of the first team to clinch your ticket to the Minto Cup in Brampton. Uh, what's the layoff been like for you? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, it's been tough. Like, we had three weeks off between the finals or the first round in Alberta because uh, Mounties had to play in Saskatchewan, and then we've had another two weeks off. What yeah. we tried to really do is replicate. I did a lot of reading, a lot of research on teams that hosted the Memorial Cup for hockey and then had right. a couple couple weeks off. I've done lots of research on bowl teams in college football when they play their last game and then they have a six-week break. So we've really gone back into training camp mode. Uh, We've really pushed these kids hard. We've really been accountable to what we need and basically started fresh again. Come back after one or days off, have training camp. Uh, We beat the Mounties. We took one day off and we were right back at it. We're going hard this week and right back in it. So has it been great when you don't get to play games? No, but we are a team, especially being kind of a young team, that we need to be at the ring together. We need to yeah. practice. We need to be accountable. When we take multiple days off and give these kids three days off, it's hard for us to dial it back in. So it's been a really, really good thing having this time off. I think the team's growing a lot closer together, but it'll be interesting to see if the game days off hurts us. When does the Minto start? In how many weeks? Next week, mm-hmm. August Next 17th week, yeah. is the first game. So when do you guys head out? We head out the day before, which obviously yeah. isn't ideal. I think that's just what the – the CLA books, you know, we're going to fly in there. We're going to have the press conference. We're going to practice right away. Uh, we're going to get our legs under us. We'll go have the team dinner, and we'll come ready to play 8 o'clock against the hosts. So it's going to be fun. The Raiders have been, what do you got, six-time RML champions now, and you've kind of been the, the poster child of Rocky Mountain lacrosse. And, and what's it mean to be the representative of sort of the underdog in these Minto Cups? Is there pressure, or are you guys going in with a bit of a chip on your shoulder? Well, we have to have a chip on our shoulder. I don't think there's any pressure. I think we're playing this health money. The Mounties last year made history, and I couldn't have been prouder from a, a person that spent a lot of time here in Alberta trying to grow the game. Of course, you would like it to be your team, but I was the first person 
to text Joe Vittari and say, man, that was fantastic. Yeah. Keep it going. Win the Minto Cup for us because you want to earn that respect. You want to earn that across the country. We don't have any respect. There's no articles mm-hmm. on NL Insider. There's none of our guys being talked about, and that's fine because you earn respect. Respect isn't garnered from people writing articles about you and people saying that you're a good player. Respect is earned by us going to the Minto Cup and winning the Minto Cup, yeah. and, and we wouldn't want it any other way. That's how I was taught by some of my best coaches. It was about going out and putting what you do well on the floor. So we're playing with the underdog role, and we're going to go play loose, man. We're going we're gonna to play our game. We're going to stick to our game plan, what we do. We're going to play fast. We're going to play situationally strong. We've been disciplined all year, um, and we're going to come out and play the brand of Raiders lacrosse that we thought as a coaching staff would get us to the next level and win us the Minto Cup. And we're going we're gonna to have trust in the process and trying to do that. Uh, you talk about pride in Alberta lacrosse when you are talking about the Mounties last year. Uh, you are one of the top dogs in the ALA. Um, what's the status of, of lacrosse in Alberta across the whole province? Well, much, much like other places, lacrosse is still a developing sport. There's a lot of things that we're having to deal with in terms of kids playing other sports, mm-hmm. kids not wanting to play a full-long lacrosse season. We have a very, very short season here in lacrosse in Alberta. And going through the things about trying to get people unified on the skill development front, trying to get people believing in the process, and getting people that are maybe parents and volunteers to allow the people that have expertise to do their job. Uh, It's a challenge across the country. It's something that everybody's still striving towards. Has there been positive steps being made? Yes. The one thing I can say about the Mounties and our rivalry is you're giving kids something to strive for. I know me growing up watching Gary Gate and Coquitlam and Paul Gate play against Patty Coyle and Marichuk playing with these guys. Like I cannot forget those games for the life of me. That's what wanted me to play lacrosse. Even watching senior B in Ladner, Thursday nights in Ladner Arena, that's why I wanted to play lacrosse. So the tangible way in these young kids have been coming out to these games is something that I haven't seen over the past years and something that's really, really going to become a positive step in getting these people going. You need to be able to strive for something. You need to be able to see high-end lacrosse and being able to come watch it. So I think you're seeing the trickle-down effect and we'll continue to try to take steps to to be more successful and get ourselves noticed on a Canadian-wide front. Before we let you go, uh, you're our Calgary Roughneck insider. Uh, they haven't been very busy in the offseason. The only real move has been the loss of Jeff Shatler. Uh, what do you think of, of the Roughnecks during the offseason and their chances going into next year? Yeah, you know, it's it's been an interesting offseason. I'm very much, you know, keeping tune with it. I got a lot of good friends there. I talked to Jeff about the reasons he went uh, to Saskatchewan and. I don't know. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about teams not making moves to keep up with the, the Edmontons and the Georgia. I know it sometimes can be tough in the NLL, but I think you very much have to be proactive Absolutely. in going out and addressing areas of need. If you're a team like the Roughnecks that hasn't made the playoffs for the first time in 15 years, I'm probably going out there and trying to address some things, even if they're not the right things to do. Yeah. But I think teams in the NLL get caught in the, cause, the chasm of, you know what, we might be good. We might be potential front runners. But my experience in junior lacrosse and being a general manager and of being able to bring a lot of kids in is I'm not going to stand pat. You know, a lot of people gave, reverting it back to junior, a lot of people gave Delta uh, the gears this year for not doing well, but they took their shot. They actually yeah. went out and took one shot. Did it work out? No, but they had a plan in place. And I think teams in the NLL and the Roughnecks need to really figure out where they're going to be. What's, what is going to be the next step to get them back to that championship pedigree and how are you going to do it with expansion on the horizon it is a tough task but it'll interesting to see how they come about in the draft if they are going to go after another free agent or two and if they're going to tinker with their team because they do have pieces there's a lot mm-hmm. of good pieces in there it's about finding those pieces in the dressing room it's about finding those pieces that can fit in as supplementary pieces and putting it all together you think mouse is on the hot seat well i mean i don't know if he's on the hot seat i think that the organization respects what kurt has done but They've had three losing seasons in a row under 500. You've had teams make a lot more moves for coaches before. You've mm-hmm. had the same group of guys that have been there a long time, and you have the pressure to win. Is it is it necessarily one of these things where you're going to fire him right away because he didn't make the playoffs? No. They've earned the respect and the ability to buy themselves more time, but it's a very fine line in the NLL. It's a very fine line, and like we talked about, of being a team that's going to contend or a team that doesn't, you know, really have anything, things can start to slide. So I think Mouse is going to come back prepared. Obviously, it's not a position that he's 
been used to being into. Um, I think with Sato back there on the defensive end, he's a great guy. I love Sato. Mm-hmm. I've had lots of good talks with him. He's a guy that fits in very well. That they're going to come with some new ideas. They're going to come with a fresh mindset. And and a lot huge off the start, like really yeah. coming to camp and being engaged and being ready. So I think the coaching staff's going to have uh, all the opportunity to continue to move this forward. That being said, I don't know if you can go four years in a row without yeah. having a winning record. I think you're going to get back into the playoffs, and hopefully the Roughnecks will be. I know a lot of guys on the team have a lot of character, so they're going to do everything they can to get back in the in the playoff pitch and get back into the championship cup race. Ryder, my friend, always a pleasure. Um, enjoy the rest of this week, and best of luck traveling back to Brampton. Uh, I don't have a dog in the race, so I'm going to hop on the, uh, the Oak and Oak bandwagon, and I'll be pulling for you guys this year. Make your bet in uh, Vegas, Teddy. That's where we're going to be big underdogs. I like our chances. Throw a few bucks in there. It's like old Conor McGregor, and you never know what's going to happen. Cause we got a puncher's chance. We'll be ready, and uh, it's going to be a great experience for the organization, for the kids, and hopefully we can wrap Alberta lacrosse in a, in a positive way. Even the great Andrew McBride makes the odd mistake. He said Edmonton, we all know he meant Saskatchewan. But we want to wish him and the Okotoke Raiders the best of luck back east in the Minto Cup. A normal Western guy, and I should root for the Western team, but I like cheering for the underdog. Maybe it's because I'm a third child. I don't know. But I like cheering for, for the Alberta groups especially when my good buddy Andrew McBride is behind the bench. So they will head to Ontario next week. Uh, as you heard him, a day before the Minto Cup starts, get there, have the press conference, a meal, a practice, and they'll get things started. Okotoks, Coquitlam, Mimico, Six Nations, who you got? Um, I don't want to really ruin Brian Shanahan's piece, but as he kind of points out, Coquitlam are the defending champs, while the Six Nations arrows maybe the favorites and a very loaded Six Nations team. But don't count out the Raiders and, and don't count out the Mountaineers. Um, in, in this type of series, when you're playing so many games in such a short period of time, you just never really know what's going to happen. Last year is a perfect example when the Calgary Mountaineers became the first Alberta team to win a game in the Minto Cup outside of Alberta. So, stranger things have happened. Coquitlam, Six Nations, probably the odds-on favorites, but put a few bucks down on the Raiders. You never know. Throw a couple bucks in the Mountaineers, too. I'm going for the underdogs. Okotoks Mountaineers final. You heard it here first. We're going to talk about the MSL and and their four-day breaks that they have just had in the midst of their playoffs um, in a couple minutes here. But an interesting story has come out of the Ontario Junior final between Six Nations and Mimico, where... Uh, Steve Toll, the head coach of the Mimical Mountaineers, has been oft criticized by some people, I'm not one of them, for resting his guys and not playing a full lineup for the Ontario Finals the first two games of. And people are saying that it's bad for the sport. Some people are saying it's bad morale for the team. Other people are saying that he's playing possum. And it could be a number of things. I don't think it's it's bad for the sport. I don't think it's bad for their team. Um, I agree with Shani where he says, you know what, if you want to rest your guys for the first two games, you get, a, I think they had five days off between game two and game three, which is going to be tomorrow on Wednesday. And if you have that much time off, then you can truly re- give your guys an extra rest and then play play the lineup for the rest of the series that's going to be your number one lineup for game one of the Minto Cup. Because you don't want to rest your guys too much and then have them have to step on the floor for game one of the Minto, having not played in, say, two and a half weeks, or a week and a half, whatever it may be. And you heard what Andrew McBride said, in that he has been studying teams who have hosted Memorial Cups with extended breaks, um, NCAA football national championship teams that you know have six weeks off from their last game to their championship bowl game. It's a tough task for a coach to try to manage all your players. And and Brider said it again. You know, we give them one day off, great. Two days off, fine. But once we get to that third day, we kind of lose our guys and we lose our edge a little bit. And then when we come back to the rink, we got to kind of start back from ground zero. It's the old two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. And so Toller has taken the idea of giving his players some rest, 
for the first two games of the Ontario final. And I'm okay with it because you don't, yeah, winning the provincial championship is a great feather in your cap, but you don't play to win that. You play to win the Minto Cup, the national championship. Coquitlam is an example. And again, I'm stealing Shani's material. Um, Coquitlam didn't win the BC finals last year and they went and just rolled through the Minto Cup. So you can criticize Toller if you want. He's the coach of their team. He's gotten them further than this organization as Mimico Mountaineers have ever gotten in a three-year span. And if he wants the rest his guys, rest his guys. There's nothing wrong with it. I got no issues with it. And if he comes out with a with a soft lineup for game three and he's still resting guys, I it still I still wouldn't have an issue with it. I would kind of question it, but I wouldn't have an issue with it. Because again, for the reasons why I just said you're giving your guys so much time off now between games. So uh, game three of that series goes Wednesday uh, in Six Nations. If Mimico can pull out a win, it'll be back in Mimico for game four. Uh, we will touch base on the WLA momentarily. I would love to talk MSL, but there hasn't been a game since Tuesday. Sorry, since Thursday. Which kind of just makes me do a serious head scratch because they played their first four games of the series in three days. The first, the second, and the third. And the series were tied at one. And then they don't play until tonight. They're taking the floor in 20 minutes' time for game three in both of those series. And then Brooklyn and Peterborough actually aren't going to play. Sorry, they'll play Thursday. And then they're not going to play again until Monday. So there's another three-day break. And it could be arena availability, but it's just weird that you would have these big breaks right in the middle of your playoffs. I know this was a long weekend. Didn't stop the WLA from having four games. Played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and last night. Games again tonight. And the WLA is just on this mission to get the playoffs over and done with. And again, I'm, I'm okay with that. Because as a player, I, I love playing every other night. Back-to-back nights, especially in the Man Cup, are brutal. That day off in the Man Cups, that first day off, is probably one of the nicest days I've ever had. Because it's truly like your body gets put through the ringer so hard throughout, you know, semifinals and finals, and then you go to the Minto, or sorry, you go to the Man, or the Minto, for that matter, and you play those first couple of days, and then you get that day off, you don't want to do anything. You want to sleep in. You want to ice as much as possible, drink as as much water as you can. I would always stay away from the rink. I just wouldn't go near it. But it's crazy just to see them literally stop for a full four days. And they'll keep going. They'll play all the way up until the 17th if they need to. That'll be the final game of the Brooklyn-Peterborough series if it goes seven. So... Not much to talk about out east. Um, both games in the Six Nations Oakville series went to overtime. Uh, the first one went to triple overtime. Um, what a crazy game that was. A week ago, we were talking about that. And I remember saying, oh, yeah, it's 2-2 Oakville in Six Nations. Good first period. It was over. And then I looked at the Brooklyn Peterborough score, and I was like, oh, my God, it's 5-2 Brooklyn. I was like, yeah, sweet. Go for the upset. Go Brooklyn. And then I was like, ah, Peterborough will probably be able to pull it around. And they didn't. They lost 7-10. And then Westberg scored in triple overtime to give Oakville a 1-0 lead. Peterborough won 6-5 in Game 2. Nations won 11, or sorry, 14-11 in Game 2 of their series. That one also went to overtime. So as much as people thought that these two first series uh, were going to be a bit of a cakewalk for Six Nations and Peterborough, hasn't been that way. And maybe that four-day break is good for both teams. All four teams even. So that's the update of the MSL again. Both game threes are on tonight in Peterborough and in Six Nations. You can check out Point Streak for all your updated info on that one.
Ez for the WLA. We got ourselves some fun lacrosse going on here, kids. Victoria won game one in game two against the Burnaby Lakers. 9-8 in game one. 9-6 in game two. And then got absolutely trounced last night. 13-4. And as I watched, I, I didn't want to believe it was actually happening. But I don't, again... <laughs> I'm in this mindset today of understanding and being okay with it because I'm okay with that loss by the Victoria Shamrocks. They're still up 2-1. They get to come back home for game four. And it doesn't matter if you lose by one or by nine in the playoffs. A loss is a loss, and it only counts as one in a seven-game series. Victoria just didn't have it. Again, they were struggling to get on the inside of the Burnaby defense. Eric Penny was great in between the pipes. He wasn't tested very much. And both games in Burnaby, Victoria has been outshot by double digits to the Lakers. So they got to figure out a way to get the ball moving, get to the inside, spread that defense out, and get to Eric Penny because as good as shooters Casey Jackson and Corey Small and Evan Messenger and Joey Reza Terrence, as good as shooters they are, they're not going to win a series just shooting from the outside. They got to find a way in. Their defense had a bad night. Um, just nothing was going right for them. Uh, the Burnaby offense was swinging the ball and moving the ball and, and did an excellent job of chasing Aaron Bold from the net. I know he'll be better in game four tomorrow night. And so the Shamrocks still have a 2-1 series lead. They come back to the Q Center tomorrow. I'll have that call uh, 6 p.m. face-off from the Q Center, live on Playful Screen. Tonight, it's New West and Maple Ridge. Game three of that series, that's tied 1-1. Maple Ridge won the first game 8-3. New West won the rematch 12-6. So game three tonight uh, in Maple Ridge. Dan Taylor uh, supposedly suspended one game uh, after a high-sticking incident in game two. Uh, heading into game two, Joel McCready got a one-game suspension for his actions at the end of game one, which included three majors and three game misconducts. And Rob Dalzell, the offensive coach for the Maple Ridge Broads, was also given a one-game suspension. So those have both been served, and Taylor will likely be out tonight. And that's a big loss for Maple Ridge. He's one of their top-producing lefties. And, you know, again, just like Victoria last night, Maple Ridge had a tough time getting inside that new Westminster defense, had a tough time getting past Alex Bouquet, and they just could not stop Logan Shush or Mitch Jones, both of them going off for massive, massive nights. Shuss had eight points, three goals, five assists. Jonesy, six goals, three assists for nine points. The two combined for 17 points, nine goals, eight assists. And when you're getting production like that and you're getting Kevin Crowley in the lineup who chipped in five assists, uh, you're going to have to find a way to stop those three if you're going to want to get back in the series. Maple Ridge can do it. They have a team that is very talented, both sides of the ball, and I think they'll be better in game three tonight. So um, if you're listening to this before that game starts, starts at 7.30, that's on play full screen as well. So that kind of wraps up Junior A and Senior A. Let's look at quickly the National Lacrosse League transaction wire. I've been teasing that most of the night, and we go all the way back to August 2nd, the day after we recorded. Um, Rochester signed Dan Dawson, Jordan Dance, Mike Triolo to one-year deals. They also signed Luke Magnan to a two-year deal. The New England Blackwell signed C.J. Costable. Georgia signed Braden Hill and Liam Burns. The Mammoth signed Bryce Sweeting, Colton Armstrong to two-year deals, and then Quinn McKay, Brent Adams, Justin Goodwin, Keegan Rittinger, all to one-year deals. The next entry into the transaction roster goes Colorado Mammoth signing goaltender Steve Fryer and Nick Clayton, sorry, Nolan Clayton. Uh, Steve Fryer was the Toronto third. Nolan Clayton was the on-again, off-again Mammoth third. Uh, the Black Wolves signed Josh Hawkins to a one-year deal, so uh, we'll see if Josh Hawkins can crack that lineup. The Rock signed Challen Rogers and Latrell Harris both to three-year deals and Phil Caputo to a two-year contract while the Stealth, who have probably one of the busiest general managers 
this offseason, signed Zach Higgins, Casey Jackson, Eric Penny, Cliff Smith, all to one-year deals. We talked about the Shatler signing in Saskatchewan. That was a two-year deal. That came on the fourth just four days ago. And then today, Warren Hill and Kevin Orleman signed deals with the Georgia Swarm. Zach Boychuk signed a one-year deal with the Rush. Damon Edwards, Sandy Chapman, Brandon Miller all re-upped in Toronto. And the Stealth officially announced the signing of Brendan Rouse to a one-year deal. Uh, crazy thing about Brendan Rouse, I actually didn't know that he played hockey for the Vancouver Giants, which is a pretty cool story. He was originally a draft pick of Vancouver a few years ago, opted to go the hockey route, and he's still around, and Vancouver was able to sign him to a deal. So a uh, nice little full-circled story there uh, for Brendan Rouse and the Vancouver Stealth. But that's really all that's happened in the National Lacrosse League in the past seven days. No real news to come out, and... Just a bunch of signings and more signings. And we'll just keep you up to date with that as much as we can. No real news on the expansion front. Although Rush GM and head coach Derek Keenan was on with Jason Greger from the Jason Greger Show, formerly uh, the voice of the Edmonton Rush. And Derek often hops on Jason's show. Um, And so I'm going to play you a clip of that interview between Jason and Derek. And the first question is going to come from Jason. And he's talking about expansion and what the expansion draft might look like. Now, moving to expansion, what what's your expectations on it? Is it just going to be flat across the board, 10 players? Will there be, like, rookies uh, exempt or anything like that, or will no, it just be? that was talked about. Um, didn't didn't happen. So I think it's going to be you can go 10 and a goalie. Um, and I don't think this is all finalized yet, but this is kind of the uh, what's been put out there, 10 and a goalie, but no more than five forwards. Um, however, you could protect less than five forwards, I think, is the way they're going to do it. So, so I mean, you could you could go 60 and four forwards if you wanted and a goalie, or you could go no goalie, actually, and 11 runners, but no more than five offensive players. So I think that's the way it's going to work. Okay, so... What's as a guy who's been around the league as long as you have from playing in it, uh, I know there's. It seems that now is the right time for lacrosse to expand because there's a lot of good players that simply aren't playing. Mm-hmm. Like in the draft, you see the draft every year, and you can't protect guys uh, because you don't have a minor league system, so they're kind of just yeah. free agents out there. Is is now the right time? Like to, but how important is it to ensure they go to the right places? Yeah. You know what? I think it is the right time um, because there are a lot of really good players that aren't in the league. And uh, if you look across, you know, if you look this past year, there was a lot of injuries in the league this year for some reason. And guys that came in off practice rosters just were impact guys right away. And like same way with my team, with Matt Hossett specifically, and 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 even Matt McGrady came in and played really well for us. So there, there's a lot of really good players and. Uh, yeah, the market's key, it's key, and I know that the league is really looking at what we've done in Saskatoon, and and that's kind of one of those niche markets they're looking at. Um, but also, the ownership is really important as well. And the ideal, I, I think, is kind of what they have in Calgary and Buffalo and Colorado, where you know the arena operators and and potentially the hockey or basketball teams are involved in the ownership as well. So that that's important uh, because your your lease deals are crucial and uh um you know that, that's that's a big big part of it and and we, we have a great deal in saskatoon that's you know obviously filling the building helps too but the lease agreement really helps as well yeah I, yeah sask it's kind of hard to emulate it because it got a great deal and, and you moved into a province that was you know looking for a team plus you moved a championship team right like they they got the yeah, fans got yeah. to taste success right away mm-hmm Oh, that, no question about it. Like that's 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 a huge part of it. And uh, you know, building a, a expansion team isn't easy. Like I've done it, and it's it's a challenge, and um, it's tough to be competitive right away. But I think the way the expansion draft is set up, it's way better than in the past. Like when you know, even when I was in Portland and Edmonton, we came in the same year. Like it, it was, you know, it was tough to. I <laughs> I had to do a lot of wheeling and dealing to be competitive that first year that's for sure and and um and now it's going to be much um easier for new teams for expansion teams because of the way 
the expansion draft is going to be set up with uh, with the existing teams being you know not being able to protect as many players. So there's Derek Keenan with Jason Gregor. Nothing real earth shattering, but just some perspective and insight into what protection of rosters might look like. And so the the working model is again, as he said, this isn't finalized. Just kind of what's out there. The working model will be ten runners and a goaltender, but no more than five forwards. Or you could protect 11 players and no goaltender. So it'll be interesting to see what some teams do. Uh, I'm sure once we get an announcement of expansion and then the kind of the year goes through next year, we can start to look at protected rosters. But you can kind of even start doing it now, but you don't know who will be on teams next year, yada, yada, yada. Something to think about as the year gets closer and the season moves on and you start to see teams making moves, whether it be for draft picks or for depth players, that when expansion comes, teams will have to decide 10 and 1, 11 and 0, 5 and 5, 6 and 4, whatever it may be. So, um, nice job by uh, our good buddy Jason Gregor. We've had him on the show a few times. Haven't really had him on since the rush, haven't been around, but um, the hope is that Edmonton will get a team soon, and Jason and I can be reunited. Sticking a little bit with the National Lacrosse League story, the Rochester Nighthawks will host the inaugural Upstate Box Lacrosse Invitational Tournament um, on the 12th and 13th of this month, so that is on the weekend. And it's co-partnered, sanctioned, sponsored by U.S. Boxla. So it's a huge event for the Rochester Nighthawks um, just to be a part of and to sort of put their flag along with the NLL's flag and the U.S. Box of Flag together to bring an upstate box across tournament um, to that area. There's teams coming from Canada all across upstate New York. It's going to be um, a great job from Pee Wee Bantam and Midget Ages, so grade 5 to grade 10, I think, somewhere around there. And it is just another snippet and glance into the future of our game south of the border because uh, we've talked about it many times. With expansion coming and the growth of this game, we need more kids playing the indoor game and playing it the right way, um, playing it under the U.S. box umbrella, especially at the youth age because they have the best coaches, uh, the best instructors, the best referees, the best model to help grow the game, and they've just been doing an incredible job. And case in point, uh, the Nationals were this weekend. The U.S. Box and Nationals, again, were in San Jose. Shaden Santos, Matt Brown, Paul Tutka, that whole crew um, did an incredible job putting this event on. Throw in um, Colin Doyle's name because he was a huge part of it. Uh, they do a coaches camp, a referee camp. Uh, Brian Lemon from the NLL was there. Uh, helping with the referees. They do a kids' camp, all-star games, shootouts, trick shots, like everything. It is an incredible weekend of lacrosse, one of the biggest lacrosse tournaments I have ever seen, and it grows every single year. And they have teams from all across America. Uh, They have a couple Canadian teams come down, and the growth of the game is just phenomenal. And to see how far some of those kids came in just from last year to this year, was night and day just because they have their sticks in their hand more. They're playing the indoor game again, learning from former coaches in the national or players in the national lacrosse league. Uh, people who have played the indoor game at a high level are teaching these kids how to properly play the indoor game. And it can only mean great things for the sport of lacrosse, especially south of the border and the growth of our game. So shout out to everybody involved in us Boxla. Um, I know my nieces and nephew were down there playing. It was their first trip down there, and they had an absolute blast. Came home with two golds and a silver. Uh, Just a phenomenal, phenomenal tournament. If you have young kids and they play um, for a U.S. boxer group or you're in B.C. and you have access to putting together a travel team and you want to put something together, um, go down. It is just, it's, it's a great spot. It's in a great facility. San Jose is awesome this time of year. And there are just games going from 7 in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night. And it is just nonstop lacrosse. There's five pads. It is just chaos. But it's such an incredible tournament to be a part of. And 
Um, I, I was unfortunately unable to go this year, but I look forward to going next year and many years to come because uh, it has become the penultimate youth box tournament in the United States, and it continues to grow, and it continues to grow the box game in the U.S., which can only mean great things for the sport of lacrosse. One last thing about um, Rochester. Uh, they have kind of gone the routes that the Colorado Mammoth have in bringing back former players to be their coaching staff. They, don't, they didn't bring in them as a triumvirate like Colorado did first with Stroop, Coyle, and Gilly. But with Mike Hazen behind the bench, they're starting to bring back more guys that were parts of those Nighthawks teams in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, that led them to multiple Champions Cup appearances, uh, even a Champions Cup win. This is a great group led by Mike Hazen. They just brought back Dewey Jacobs as Director of Player Operations. Now they've brought Micah Kersey's in the fold, uh, and now they bring back Marshall Abrams, which uh, one of the greatest guys I ever had an opportunity to play with, understands the game, was just a silky smooth defenseman. And when you watched Marsh play, uh, he never looked out of place. He rarely looked like he was trying hard because it was so effortless for him. But, man, was he good. And just so athletic and so gifted defensively. But could get up the floor, could start the transition, uh, play offense if he needed to, and also just a salt-of-the-earth dude and understands um, the family relationship that the Nighthawks have with the city of Rochester um, and the bond that community has with the team and the fans and the players and the organization, he's been part of all of that. And so I think it is a great job by Kurt Styers and that group to bring back uh, Dewey Jacobs and Micah Kersey and, and now to bring in Marsh Abrams into the fold. It's just fantastic because I'm a huge Marshall Abrams fan. Him and Reggie Thorpe have done a fantastic job or did a fantastic job a few years ago with the Six Nations Junior Arrows Club. Uh, took him to a Minto Cup, and now their stars just continue to rise as up-and-coming coaches. And I completely forgot that in that group, Jody Gage is still there with the team. Uh, I mentioned a Kersey and Dewey Jacobs, but Pat O'Toole is there, Mike Hazen's stepbrother. So it's a whole conglomeration of guys who played for the Nighthawks in the late 90s, early 2000s, and were part of their 07 championship team and they're trying to get this group back to the championship and back to a title and somewhere they haven't been since they won three in a row. One more story for you, and this is the feel-good story of the week. And it's about a young kid in Denver named Ezekiel Brown, and I had a fantastic opportunity last year to meet Ezekiel with the Colorado Mammoth uh, when he came out and was a mammoth for the day and got to hang out with the guys at practice and film and shoot around and and in the locker room getting autographs. And he's a young kid from the Denver area who was diagnosed with cancer. And he was a lacrosse player. And then once he found out, it kind of turned his world upside down, as it would for anybody. And he's just got a, an infectious smile and a great laugh and an incredible attitude that he was, you know, with the help of his family and his friends and the game of lacrosse, he was able to fight it and continues to fight it. And he's back playing lacrosse again. And like I said, he was with the Mammoth this winter uh, for a day, and he's been around those guys quite a bit. And then this past week, he was an honorary member of the Denver Outlaws. He was an outlaw for the day. He got to go to their practice. He got to lead the team out on the field before the start of the game. He was on the field with them during the game and then got to run onto the field after they won. Like, what an incredible moment for a fantastic young man who's going through a lot, a lot of pain and stress and medications and everything that goes along with fighting cancer. And when you look at him sometimes, you'd, you'd never know. And so I wanted to give a big shout-out to Zeke and all that he's done to get back to where he is and back out on the field and playing the game that he loves and that makes him the happiest. So shout-out, Zeke. Uh, glad you're doing well. And... Kudos to uh, the Outlaws organization and the Mammoth organization uh, for bringing him in and making him feel like part of the family because, as we all know, the game of lacrosse is a medicine game, it's a family game, and it's one that helps 
bring together communities in times of pain and hurt. And I'm sure the Brown family have loved every minute of being a part of the lacrosse family. That's going to do it. Another episode in the books. Thank you to Andrew McBride for stopping by. I'm still efforting a very special guest. I was hoping to have him on this week. We're going to try to get him next week. Um, We'll preview the Minto Cup in detail next week. Uh, We'll try and shout out Shani to get him on the show and bring him in to talk about the Minto Cup just because he's out there. Oh, it is going to be pay-per-view. Or Sorry, it is going to be webcasted. I don't know if it's going to be free or pay-per-view. It's going to be on JVI Sports. Uh, Steven Stamp will not be calling it. Just found that out today. I believe it'll be Matt Carrick and Pat Gregoire with the call. So maybe we'll effort Patty G. Other than that, enjoy the games. Maple Ridge and New West, game three tonight. Six Nations, Oakville, Peterborough, Brooklyn, they're in the process of playing right now. Ah, sure, let's take a quick peek and see what's going on. Brooklyn's up 1-0, Six Nations up 2-1. Both those games around the 10-minute mark in the first period. That's going to do it for another week here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Thank you to everybody for listening and stopping by and all those people who helped to keep the show afloat. My name is Teddy Jenner at Off the Crossbar on Twitter, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Until next week, if you go to a game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. The more friends you have, the more fun they'll have too. Until then, be excellent to each other. Now